This is Fully Sick, a podcast about chronic illness and disability. This isn't a space for Debbie Downers, inspiration porn or snake oil merchants. I'll just be having a chat with a different person every fortnight about their experiences. My name's Jenny O'Keefe and my experience comes from 12 years of fibromyalgia and 5 years of chronic fatigue. In translation, all my stuff hurts and I'm super naked most of the time. I also live a pretty fun and full life and my illness isn't the be all and end all of my existence. Being fully sick can be isolating at times, so I'm going to meet up with a different person each fortnight and hear their story. Bit of state the obvious housekeeping, this podcast isn't a substitute for medical advice. Each person's story is their own individual expression and doesn't seek to explain the situation of everyone with the same condition, illness or disability. That's Diversity University 101. As well as hearing from a different person each episode, we'll also have regular contributions from Dr. Alice Williamson, our science guru, to demystify the biology of chronic conditions, illness and disability. On with the show. Hello and welcome to lucky episode 13 of Fully Sick. This is our final instalment of 2016 and we are planning to be back next year after a wee break over the summer. I thought I'd make this episode up of bits and bobs that we couldn't quite fit into previous episodes. You'll hear some outtakes from Sam Drummond, who you might remember um, speaking about his life as a short-statured person, uh, where we hear him talking about his childhood. Also Carly Findlay talking about dating with a visible difference and Jonathan Brown talking about what he wishes people would know about anxiety. But I will start off the podcast with a bunch of things that I recorded. I thought that these things would be the first episode before we did a bit of a test uh, group and decided it was a bit too different from how the podcast would usually be. I know that getting tattoos is really not a big deal in 2016. Most people have them, most people's grandmas have them, whatever. But for me, it was huge, really big thing. So I recorded the experience and related it to my story and wove in the genesis for the podcast into that tale. So you will hear um, how high-pitched I get when I'm extremely anxious and shockingly for me how valley girl I sound. So that's flattering. Um, I should also let you know that there's recording from inside the tattoo parlour. So if you're not into hearing the buzzing of needles or if that's triggering for you, it does sound a little bit like the dentist as well. Uh, Once you reach that bit, skip ahead about five minutes and you'll be fine and dandy. Here are some outtakes, warts and all, for your enjoyment. Make sure you listen to the end because I have um, included a bit of a blooper in there. On with the show. We're in the car, which is um, why there's a bit of background noise. And we are on our way to go get my first ever tattoo. I feel (laughs) really, really freaking out. I'm really nervous. I feel sick in my stomach. I've got a headache. I feel very tense. Um, How are you feeling, love? I'm fine in terms of your tattoo. Yep. Yeah. Um, neither of us have any tattoos. Um, I'm just gonna I'm gonna talk a bit about why. Well, I'm just gonna read the email that I sent the tattoo artist. So her name's Brittany, which I keep thinking it's Brittany, bitch. Do do do. Um, so I said I've never had a tattoo before. I'm 34. I'm not sure how it all works. Um, I've had a huge year in terms of accepting and understanding some chronic health and pain things that I've had going on for the past decade and it's made my life so much better. I'd like to mark that with a vibrant, beautiful tattoo on my upper arm slash shoulder. 
Frida Kahlo is someone who embodies so much of what I've learned and what I've lived. She found her talent in painting while dealing with pain and ongoing catastrophic health stuff. She lived a passionate and creative life. She was sexy and vibrant and strong. And I think of her a lot when I'm laying low and waiting for energy to return to me so that I can create. So what I have in mind is Frida Kahlo's face um, looking straight ahead with strong, unflinching, twinkly eyes, surrounded by a garland of vibrant lemons, sage, ginkgo leaves, pine cones, and flowers like roses, lavender, marigolds, etc. So, yeah, I sent that August, August 23rd, and it's now October 23rd. Oh, so here we are. And I feel like I could vomit. I just feel. I, I'm really scared of the pain. I'm scared. That I'm not going to be able to hack it. Um, I'm, I think it'll look beautiful. I'm not worried about that. No, neither am I. And I love... I, I've always loved Frida Kahlo. I think ever since I became unwell, I I think it was around that time that that movie about her that Selma Hayek was in uh, came out. Oh, we should watch. It's so fantastic. Yeah, I don't actually know a lot about her. I didn't know mm. she's had chronic pain or anything like that. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot that she went through. Yeah. She was in a, a bus accident when she was a teenager and um, basically a pole went through her entire body. Oh god. Shattered bits of her spine and basically went out of her JJ and oh hideous, yeah, hideous, right. hideous stuff. So she spent a lot of time flat on her back and I think was it her father who gave her some paints to occupy her time and that's when she oh, found her talent. Right. And I think for me, similarly, I, you know, I had a whole other career before I got sick and it was only through focusing on what I, because medically where there was a lot of focus on what I couldn't do anymore, um, which was basically using my arms a lot. And so I started to focus on what I could do and that was talking. So I got into broadcasting and I got into celebrancy, so marrying people and ceremonies and stuff. Um, And I don't know that I would have explored those yeah. Paths, if I hadn't had to do a bit of a one eighty yeah, exactly. on what my time would be spent doing. Um, I imagine you wouldn't have. No. You know. Oh, because I was, I was, uh, oh, I was completely obsessed with interpreting and sign language and all that stuff and that whole community. Um, I think to my detriment. But um, yeah, here we are. Yeah. So I'm going to turn off the thing now unless you have... Do, what do you think about all this, babe? Do you have any thoughts? Not particularly. No. Um, I think you just need to cry before yeah, you go in and <laughs> then you're going to feel a lot better. Yeah. I also think if you can't hack it, then you're going to do it for as long as you can endure today and you're going to come back in another week or two weeks and do the next part of it. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah, cool. Yep. Thanks, love. Um, so I might record while it's actually happening as well and they might be swearing so okay cheers okay um so i've had a cry i've had some sugar (laughs) i've paced around and i think we're about to start and um yeah is that right (laughs) oh yeah I'll just record and talk about, if I can, I'll talk about how it feels. Yeah, that's great. That's really fine. So I'll start you off with just a little, little bit first. So you get yep. I'm not going to look. I'm just going to look at Tracy. And uh, yeah, it's really, <laughs> it's really loud. I've got a lot of adrenaline 
It's sort of like a little pointy razor blade kind of feeling. But it's it's not like a big deal. It's just it's like a really annoying mozzie. Yeah, that's that's quite sore. Yeah, yeah. But it's for a wonderful purpose. I'm just gonna breathe and stop talking now for a bit. Yeah. I don't know what I expected really. I think it's not as bad as I expected. Yeah. I'm not sure how long I'll be okay for. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's kind of okay. I'm really excited about the end result. Generally the first five minutes are the worst and then you'll, yeah. you'll get used to it after a little while and you'll just zone out and <sighs> you'll actually find it like relaxing. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like, not in a bad way, but it feels like you're sort of slicing into me a bit. Yeah, how can that sound not bad, but it's not as savage as that. It's not like you want to scream or something. No, no. And I really appreciate what you're doing as well. <sighs> yeah, I imagine that you get used to it after a bit. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, otherwise I'll be bouncing off the walls with all the sugar. Ooh-wee. Yeah, not as bad as I thought. Bad, but not as bad. Do you feel like hot or cold or anything? Um, I feel very clammy, but I have for the last hour, so yeah. <laughs> Has anyone completely flipped out and run away when you started? Hmm, interesting. Yeah, I'm completely disassociating from my body right now. I'm completely disassociating from my body. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit of mosh too. I got in touch with, I know two other women who have the um, physical condition that I have and they're both, um, got, they've got quite a few tattoos between them. Um, What's my thing? I've got fibromyalgia, so it's like a chronic pain thing. It's a big pain in the ass, but um, it's a bit boring. Um, and so this is about reclaiming my skin, because that right there, that's like the most painful part of my body yeah. all the time. If anyone accidentally bumps me there, I want to punch them in the neck. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, your arms mainly. Yeah, yeah. So I got in touch with those two women, with Joe and Quinn, and um, and asked them about do they have any advice. And they both were really great. They both said like, well, it's pain for a purpose. It's not pain that you're used to, which is just bullshit. And breathe into it. Don't don't fight it it's on your time. yeah it's on my my time my decision mm. okay i might stop recording now because i'm just getting bored of hearing yeah. myself talk all right mm-hmm. all right recording so we're in the car post um appointment tattoo appointment and um my first instinct is to, because i'm generally asking the questions in these things is to ask you <laughs> Tracy um, how was your experience today 
Um, look, my experience was fine. I don't really know what to say. Uh, I knitted and yep. it was interesting to watch and see how a tattoo happens. Mm. Yeah. Cool. And to see you kind of managing the pain and. Yeah. Yeah. I don't feel like it's about me. How was your experience? Okay. <laughs> it's really. I just want to say that my tattoo artist, Brittany, was lovely. She had a. She's a lovely woman and is really passionate about Frida Kahlo. So it was a pleasure for her, I think, as well, to be able to work on that artwork. And she she really is an artist. Just I'm a bit rambly because I feel a bit weird post-tattoo. But, yeah, she had a very lovely way about her. She's very gentle. Um, What was she saying about when um, she went into a tattoo parlour first and they said no to her or something? Yeah, they said, you don't look like a tattoo artist, so you'll never work in this industry. Oh, God. (laughs) What a douchebag. Yeah, so I'm glad that we were in that together. And she was saying that when I walked in, she thought I wouldn't last 10 minutes (laughs) (laughs) and that I'd probably faint before we even started. I thought I was going to, but... um, I didn't. I was very clammy and sweaty for the first hour or so. I think like an hour beforehand I got a bit clammy and sweaty and then, um, yeah, very high adrenaline rush. Um, and I can't believe how much um, sugar I chomped my way through. Yeah, and drank. Man, yeah, I drank about, you know, like those little stubbies of ginger ale. I had about three of those and I never drink soft drink, so it was very strange. But, um, yeah, you need to keep your... And energy levels up and your calories going in up because your body's kind of burning energy dealing with what's happening which is real I really relate to that because as someone with chronic pain who's often in a lot of pain and dealing with it the first thing I reach for is food to go oh I need energy I need to feel good I'm going to shove something in my gob um, so it was good to be told to do that today <laughs> um, I quite enjoyed it and so I had apricot delight, I had lint peanut butter balls, I had um, chewy toffees and some chips and some grapes and peanut chocolate cookies and cashews, cashews and a little crunchy bar and yeah. Man, that was a good time. I feel really weird. I feel really um, almost like I'm drunk, like I'm just a bit out of it. I can't really form thoughts properly. Um, it's very sore, but it's not nearly as sore as I thought it would be. Um, and I love... Oh, I'm so happy. I'm so... I feel a great sense of achievement. And, um, yeah, I feel like I've, I just sat there and let someone draw on me with needles. But I feel a great sense of achievement. And, like, I faced something that I was really scared of. And it highlighted to me how much I do put up with every day and have done for the last decade and because it was so different sitting there and having the pain be something that I was controlling and that I chose and I was paying for and I decided that I wanted that and it's created something so incredibly beautiful um, that means a lot to me yeah which feels different to the senseless pain that me and many other people are sort of in all the time. That you have no control over. Yeah, that you, yeah. I mean, there's there's some things that you can 
control, like how active you are and if you push yourself too much and yada, yada, yada. But, yeah, I didn't choose to be in pain. I didn't choose to have a chronic illness. I didn't choose to be a young person who um, has limitations that I do. Um, Oh, yeah. Also talking about in there how you were having lots of memories come back because it was your right arm that started it all. That's right. Yeah, things like um, the Dettol smell. I had these really vivid flashbacks of... um, I would go left up there if you can manage it. I had the really vivid flashbacks of, you know, skinning my knee and falling over when I was a little kid and um, my mum taking care of me and the sting of the Dettol and all that kind of stuff. And then this, the parts where she was tattooing was quite high up on my arm near my shoulder. I had, I remembered all these feelings of when I, because what started it all for me was a shoulder injury and then I overused the other arm and and it all just went haywire from there. Lost my train of thought. <laughs> this is very common any day, but now in particular. Um, yeah, but I remembered all those feelings of being, a, like basically being, I was 23, but being a scared little kid and feeling really disempowered and confused and thinking oh, well, if my arm doesn't work, I cannot cope and that will not be okay and my life will be really shit. And it has been okay and my life is wonderful and I can cope with a lot more than I give myself credit for. Um, so I feel really great about that. And this is a really nice way to mark that understanding that I have a lot of strength and I have a high pain threshold and... Quite frankly, I feel like a fucking warrior. Like I that that every day I get up and I get out of bed. I never stay in bed all day. Like I'll stay in bed half a day sometimes if I need to, but I will always get up and do something. You know, even if it's something simple because I know that that helps me to feel good. Mm. Yeah. I don't know if I made the right I point there. When I first met you and it was a big deal to you you would get annoyed with me for opening the window the curtains <laughs> and I think when, when we'd be staying at your place and that was because if you couldn't do anything else that day at least you could open the blinds yeah yep. I, yeah I'd forgotten about that yeah because they were heavy and I had to use my arms and they hurt but I was fucking going to do that for myself mm. yeah and hanging out washing and stuff that was something that I could always do yeah regardless um I was never without clean clothes I would always sort of push myself to manage that yep right yeah yeah I feel like I'm on a bit of a high and like an adrenaline high but I also feel myself dropping Mm. but it's quite nice it's quite a soft landing I feel a little bit like you're gonna once you eat, yeah. you'll be needing to be in bed. I'll be bleh. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I might go to bed and watch my stories after that yep. on the iPad. Um, sore. I hope it doesn't get all gross and scabby. That'd be really gross. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thanks to. I want to thank you for being there with me today. No worries. It was mate. really. 
It was comforting to chatter away. And yeah. I was trying to distract you at times. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How do you think our dogs are going at home? Yeah. <laughs> like that. yeah Tell no. me this story about Bulba. <laughs> that you've heard of a million times. <laughs> yeah. No, it's nice. Yeah. Okay. It's nice to be there in a big moment. Mm. There when, when our friend was made. <laughs> when my... And I think that's what something that you said actually that I wanted to comment on as we were leaving um, I looked at her in the mirror because it's sort of an odd angle to look at on my own body so I went and looked at her in the mirror, Frida and um, you know, the person that's now a part of my skin and a part of my body and you said you'll never be lonely again to me and that, I feel a bit emotional thinking about it but it, it can be incredibly lonely being unwell and I mean, to some people, it sounds really great to have to lie on the couch all day, but it's not. It's not comfortable. It's not. It doesn't feel nice. It's you're not entertained by telly that you're watching or whatever. You're just sort of, ugh, you know, feeling really poorly. Um, and I don't have to be alone in those times now. Yeah. I've got this woman on in my skin that I've reclaimed from being a place of pain to your place of celebration, and I can look to her for a bit of patience and acceptance and understanding that I'm still a vibrant, passionate, exciting person, even though in that particular moment I might not be well enough to express those parts of myself. Yeah. That's it. Turn this mother off. This outtake is uh, from episode one. We just couldn't fit it in because Tracy and I talked too much. Who would have thunk it? This is us talking about the impact that chronic illness had on romance for me. Do you want to speak to the impact on romance or? Oh, yeah, actually. Yeah. yeah. At the time that stuff happened with my shoulder, which led to the fibro stuff, I was in a new relationship and whew, that how long did, was I with her for? But it, it wasn't a good relationship, but I think in full honesty here, like I, I wasn't, willing to go through it alone what I was going through so I stayed in this toxic relationship with this person to, for as long as I could sort of stick it out um so that it definitely impacted that relationship I feel sick saying that but I feel like I need to be honest um and after that I think there was a lot of me needing to learn about myself that being unwell doesn't mean that I deserve less than hmm. yeah so I think my relationships reflected that shall we say <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. yeah and yep. when I met you I had really learnt what I was not okay with and <laughs> how do I put this and I, I felt very clear about what I did want in a relationship and the sort of person that I want. And I'd actually done done a workshop around um, there's a thing called the artist's way and one of the exercises that we did was um, imagining a perfect scenario. And I, I invented you. Like I literally I wrote down on a piece of paper the sort of life that I wanted to have with a partner and then bang, two weeks later we met. So I say to that that's a story for another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That is true. You did. You created it. Yeah. Yeah. What? I'm going to move us on. Okay. Because of time. Okay. <laughs> is that all right? Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> With love. Can you tell me a bit about 
your childhood just in general what were you getting up to when you were a kid and what were you and your friends doing uh well i moved around house uh, moved houses a lot Mm. um and was born in the city moved to the country at Mm. age three mum and dad got divorced had a kid and got divorced um and so went back to the city uh, where mum was comfortable at the time um, and formed some really close friendships at primary school. Mm. And we'd just, uh, we'd play football and cricket um, and that was about it. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. Um, before uh, mum moved us back to the country and that was a bit of a shock because... Mm. I saw myself as a city kid yeah, and found the country pretty boring, uh, as I think a lot of country kids do. Yeah. Um, and made a bit of a decision to focus on school and yeah. to, um, to get some, some sort of, make the best out of the situation I was in. Yeah. So, um, this is in Castlemaine, yeah. I was in yep. Castlemaine, mm. which is has done gone full circle now because, mm. um, well, I was thinking about this the other day. My grandparents were uh, probably the original tree changers to Castlemaine, yeah, right, <laughs> or yeah. part of the first wave. <laughs> were they um, latte sipping blowings? No, as, uh, no. <laughs> as a lot of us are referred to, and I'll respond with, I actually like flat whites, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all, but um, but mum was a bit, and she moved up there to um, to see out grandpa's final years, which yeah. is a decision I really respect, but it was pretty shit for me. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I was taken taken away from the people that I yeah. liked hanging out with. So I ended up coming down to the city every holidays and just spending a week with uh, some, of, some of the people down here. Mm-hmm. And that was very valuable for me. Yeah. Um, and, and then in, in year 11 and 12, went another level in my stu- studies and just said, all right, I'm locking myself away because my aim is to move to the city. Mm. and be back where I belong. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I played a fair bit of music at school and mm. um, uh, didn't do so much um, so much sport when I was in high school. And I think it's, it's a lot to do with that teacher you were talking about before who I mm. ha- originally had in, in primary school and then um, he, just, he just said, all right, well the lesson plan that we've got isn't all right for Sam. Mm-hmm. So let's model the, let's model the lesson, the, 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 um, the lessons around Sam and, and the kids, or everyone can get something out of it. Yeah. So I went from that to, um, to some other teachers who were great teachers, but, um, saw, saw me as more of a, an outsider to the kids who are going to be successful. And I think that's something wow. that um, you have in, in some of the lesser quality schools. And not that I'm saying Castlemaine's a, not, a, not a great school, or, but um, 
uh, I, I noticed in my academic studies that the teachers were forced to focus on the students who they thought could do well. Real, yeah. Is that that's, about resources, do you think? That's resourcing yeah. in, in public schools. Yeah. Um, so. Um, but you've done, you've done really well academically, like compared to other people that I know, myself included. <laughs> you know, do you have a, a law degree yeah. now? Um, and, could, well, you tell me, tell me about your your academic achievements and because well, you you're one of the smartest people I know like that's you, not true it bloody is like you know you're you and Joe are total power couple like you're you both have your finger on the pulse of the media um politics um and you've got and you've got really good politics I think like you live your lives really ethically yeah I hope so I I don't agree that um, well, maybe Joe's different, but I don't think that I'm um, I'm all that smart because, uh, and the reason is that I try to um, surround my people uh, myself with people who know more than I do, mm. um, and that doesn't have to be academically, but it can be culturally, like yourself. Mm. Um, or just bring something else into the conversation. Yeah. People who are, are weird. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Um, so, Makes life much more interesting, doesn't it? So when, yeah. when I um, got the marks to get into the course that I wanted at uni, I didn't really care about, um, about uni that much. Mm. <laughs> so I was doing arts law, I was um, majoring in philosophy and... Um, uh, and not really caring about it, doing a lot of partying at uni. Mm. Didn't live on campus or anything because I just wanted to be with the people that I'd been friends with in primary school, yeah, yeah. which is a bit weird, I've been, I've been told. Um, and was looking for... Um, during uni, I was looking for stuff outside of law that was going to actually interest me. So mm. um, that's when I, uh, me and three other mates... Uh, I said, come on, guys, let's let's go do some training in community radio. Yeah. Uh, so we started in uh, we started this radio show about cheese. And we did that for cheese. six months. Yeah. Cool. Nice. <laughs> I didn't even like never cheese. I know that about you. Time. That's so funny. Yeah, that was my first show. We were called the Rock of Four. <laughs> oh, <piss> off. yeah. <laughs> And um, every segment had a cheese pun. Oh, well, that's great. You know how I love a good crap dad joke? Yeah. Yeah. We what were... was the one that Joe was saying before? Have an apple. Have another one. Make it a pear. Yeah. Oh, my God. I hadn't heard that before, and I lost it. I just thought that was the best thing I'd heard So that came, that came from Joe's dad. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I can appreciate that uh joe's dad's jokes which not many people do mm, and yeah. i see it in joe and yeah. that's part of part of the magic really yeah <laughs> so you started with a show about cheese and then um i know you did one about the white stripes yeah that was that much right? later yeah when i really got serious about radio mm. uh was um <laughs> after the rock of four and just before I was about to go overseas for the first time, I was yeah. going on exchange to England. And their semester is slightly later than ours in, um, in second semester. So I had a bit of time to um, either do something cool 
or yeah. make some money. Yeah. And dad, <laughs> dad tried to uh, get me to do the form, uh, to do make some money, not the latter. Uh, so he encouraged me as the accountant he is <laughs> to um, enroll in an H&R block course oh so God. I could yeah. do some um, work during the tax season, do mm. some uh, do some tax returns. Well, that sounds very sensible and very boring. Yeah. <laughs> and so to I, I did that for a semester, mm. uh, did the final exam, and if you got 80 out of 100 in the final exam, you passed to work at H&R Block. Mm. Um, and <laughs> I got se- like 78% one question off 80. Yeah. And I tried to argue with the, <laughs> with the lecturer about this one mark. Yeah. Uh, and she said, no, mm. um, bad luck. And <laughs> so it was at that moment that I decided to apply for three months of the breakfast show on Sin. Yeah. And... Um, and did that with uh, it was Sam Jackson Posty for for that time and mm. um, and they were two amazing people to work with and you'd do it five days a week voluntarily for three hours a morning and um, I, you you understand getting up at ridiculous hours for radio mm. uh, it's pretty tough but I learned a lot in that three months and yeah. when I came back from England. Um, that was all I wanted to do mm. is get into radio and get paid for it. Yeah. And you, so tell us a bit about your radio career because you've worked with, you know, one of the greatest dudes, Wally, Ali. Um, I was wondering who you were going to say there. <laughs> I love Wally. I've got such an intellectual crush on him. Um, tell us about where else you've worked and who you've worked with in radio. Uh, oh. This is just going to be me name dropping. Please. I'm ready to pick them up. I've got the wheelbarrow <laughs> primed. <laughs> uh, so I had a friend who was working at 3AW at the time and went mm. sitting, sat in on a couple of shows there. So it was, um, yeah, with their breakfast show and Ross and John. And um, then uh, then this, uh, Neil Mitchell's senior producer, uh, uh, Justin Smith, walked up to me one day and said, um, if you ever want to... Um, sit in and when I say sit in these are voluntary as well and they kind of it's not the greatest thing about the industry but Mm. you kind of need to do your time before you get paid yeah um so started sitting in on Neil Mitchell's show for a while um and eventually they had some shifts for me on on weekend shows and Mm. um odds and ends until uh until I got the full-time job producing Neil Mitchell which was another one of those experiences where it puts a lot of demands on on you and get up early and it never really stops but you learn a whole heap um so was uh doing that for a while um i i was working on hinch's pro show for a while really Um, but then he yeah then he got cancer Mm. um i remember that yeah that's right yeah yeah, I was there the night. Uh, I was out for drinks um, with him. He wasn't drinking mm. the night that he got whipped off to hospital to have the transplant. But right. <laughs> oh, God. I didn't even know until the next morning yeah. when I heard it on the news. Um, was he good to work with? He is very loyal. 
yeah. to the people he works with. So, yeah, uh, it's easy to get on his bad side, though. Yeah. Um, <laughs> say no more. <laughs> so yep. I won't say more. <laughs> uh, yeah. And after, after a couple of years with Neil, um, got the opportunity to go over to Radio National and work with um, Waleed for a couple of months. Waleed, yeah. Um, and before my current job, but, uh, and I still see him occasionally. He takes me to the rugby league. Yep. <laughs> As someone who'd <laughs> never been to the rugby league before, um, he's trying to get me into rugby league. So Do you we'll like see it? how that goes. Uh, as someone who supports, has supported a team that's been embroiled in a drug scandal in the AFL, um, it's, it's, not, <laughs> it's not the worst thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice to have a break. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Great. So, and so I remember when you got your job in the green. So can you tell us a bit, I, I guess I'm curious to know your day-to-day routine. What do you get up to <laughs> just in life in general? This is, this is funny because I, I was just talking to Joe about a, a um, session I have to take, or I have to, I'm volunteering to take tomorrow mm-hmm. with uh, candidates for the Greens mm-hmm. for, um, for the federal election. And um, I'm actually going to try and scare them with what our routine was like with Neil Mitchell. Because that's a lot scarier. That's it's a lot scarier than what my routine is now. But mm. um, right now, uh, so as media advisor, uh, I'm my job is to essentially uh, get Janet into a story and um, and liaise with the people in the media to make sure that that can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it depends how busy I am. Um, well, how busy I am depends on whether I'm in Melbourne or Canberra. So I follow her to Canberra. And a normal Melbourne day is getting up, reading the papers, listening to radio. Uh, we're a very radio-oriented house, and the yeah. radio is usually on if, if a record's not. Um, so we'll be listening to Fran on RN. Yep. Um, and putting together a bit of a an idea of, uh, what's in the media for Janet and the office uh, in our portfolio areas um, to see if we have to respond to anything or um, or, or whether it's just something that she should read. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, then during the day I'm putting together media releases. Um, I'll be uh, going with Janet to events, writing speeches for her, um, doing their social media, which I'm Getting used to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've learned a lot about social media in the last 18 months while I've been in this job and yeah, can see the trends of, happening. A lot of people connect with... Yeah. Like just your average person will connect with a politician through social media and get a real sense of who they are. So it's a really important role, I think. Yeah, and, and seeing how the different platforms work um, yeah, for different content or different people. Mm. Um, and the the way that some politicians will use the media a whole lot and some less so mm. um, because there are 76 senators which Janet's a one of mm. one of them there are 150 house of the Rep- house of representative members mm. so that's 226 
Uh, people trying to get media um, and not all of them can get it yeah so that's pretty hard yeah in Canberra uh, it's the day starts earlier um, and it's a lot more intense because stuff's happening in in the chamber all the time Mm. Um, there's it's probably not noticeable to or it's yeah, it might not be noticeable to the to everybody, but there are a lot more political stories that are going out just because more things are happening. Yeah. Um, and because you've got this little bubble of Parliament House where everyone's just in there together. Mm. Do you ever run into Annabelle Crabb having lunch with people? Uh, I saw Annabelle on Wednesday night uh, and spoke to her briefly, but I've never seen her have lunch to people because she goes into people's rooms. And mm. in the corridors, you don't see many people everyone's, everyone's huddled in their hidden away yeah. in their offices okay it's a very curious world that you're a part of sam yeah mm. it's a bubble mm. yeah and it, in some ways it's a double-speeded life yeah where things just go on as normal here we have we sit out on the porch and have cups of tea mm. and <laughs> speed you know watch seasons of different things binge watching yeah um but there you just uh it's go 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 you um you might be on the phone to a a journalist or um cutting cutting video from a speech or putting things up on social media or going to an event or writing a speech and, and then at night You've got all these events on and, you, and so you're trying to pick out what ones, the, the important ones to go to and mm. um, which one has better benefits. Yeah, yeah, which has got the best canapes. That's right, <laughs> which are bags, not very good at, you know. <laughs> for a vegetarian, not yeah. very good. I know, Joe often worries about if you've, you're having enough vegetables when you're away. We often talk about that if I yeah. come and visit while you're in Canberra. Yeah, it's a constant source of worry for her, but I'm pretty good with it. I'll t- yeah. I t- half my suitcase is full of leftovers. Yeah. That I take up How, what was dating like? Oh, it was so bad. Like, I, all I wanted was a boyfriend, and I think that's. I think there's a time where when we're not proud or we don't accept this condition or we just want to fit in or just be normal. Um, again, in inverted commas, um, there's that kind of need for love you know that and it might almost feel a bit desperate and so when I moved to Melbourne in 2003 I was I think I met a guy at the train station and then we became boyfriend and girlfriend for a while and And again it was settling he you know he didn't have a job and he he didn't he had no no plans for anything you know he still lived at home and he was this chain smoker oh my god I hate smoking and he smoked so much anyway and and he, um, you know, and then I dumped him on a train. I wrote a letter and I just said, I, we can't be together anymore. And I left a letter in his lap. I'm not, not proud of that, but I just realised I can't just settle, you know. Mm. And then I did a lot of internet dating and, oh, my God, that was just, you know, people say that you get to know people on the internet, but I don't think that's the case. I think that's the case as a blogger or, you know, with friends on Facebook or if you're doing it for different reasons than dating, but it's, I think it's more superficial. Um, you know, I'd met guys that say, oh, I didn't expect you to be that red. Um, I met a guy once who wanted to take me to his house. I'm like, oh, my God, I can't go to his house. So I kind of stalled it. We went to Coles. And then he just left me there. Like, oh. he just drove off. Oh, 
which was a bit weird. Um, that was, yeah, really strange. And then I met a lot of guys that were really surprised about my condition or told them I'd lie to them. You know, sometimes I wouldn't put a photo up. If I did, I wouldn't get any interest. If I didn't, I'd get interest, but then I'd be accused of not being honest. Um, if I wrote about disability, no one would want that. Um, I had a lot of people that were, um, uh, and I can't, I don't, I don't at all want to be judgmental, but they didn't have their shit together in their life. And so they, I, I guess they assumed that I would just be okay with that. And, mm. I, you know, I've been a career woman for years. I've, I'm self-sufficient. I've, I lived alone until like, you know, until last year. Um, I've worked full time, uh, you know, and then, and it came out, I've educated myself twice and, you know, two degrees and I just, that just wasn't for me. I, I met one guy who was in a, um, you know, like a, a men's shelter and I just thought, no, that I can't, I can't do that. I can't be unsafe because mm. he lived in a men's shelter and, um, you know, where we talk online on, on Facebook and, and, you know, we've got that kind of text relationship on, on Facebook only, but I just realised that I have to put myself first. And it was only when I stopped looking that I, I know that sounds so, so cliched. It was only when I stopped looking that I found someone and it, I, uh, Adam came along and I'm such a, you know, a, a spelling snob. And he's, <laughs> he, uh, his spelling's not his greatest, you know, asset. And, um, He'd written to me, and I'm like, oh, God, you know, he's not very good at spelling. And then and then he kind of said to me that he didn't really know if he should click on my, my profile because of how I looked. And I got all defensive, and, you know, I did, in hindsight, I, would, I wouldn't ever do that again. I actually wrote a blog about it saying that he, um, I felt that he took pity on me in a way. Mm. And in hindsight, I'd never do that again because he didn't have to say. And I've got a bit of a rule where I don't really blog about people without their permission, but I did about him, and yeah. he read my blog. And he still wanted to meet me, and I'm like, oh gosh. So anyway, he want, he, we met, and um, and he 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 doesn't talk much. He's very shy if you don't know him, and and but he's definitely not shy around me and other people. You know, we, he gets to know. He really opens up. But I talk so much, and he didn't speak to me. You know, and it was really it was a real forced conversation. And um, I remember he told me something about Sam Johnson being in some film, and I'm you know a friend of Sam's and have done some work with him for Love Your Sister. And I'm like, no, no, th this isn't right. And I'm like, oh god, he's trying to tell me something about Sam Johnson, and I know it. And then I think the date went for 53 minutes. I looked at the receipt. I'm like, okay, we're, we're out, we're done. And then he goes, can I drive you home? I said, no, thank you. And um, yeah. Mm. And then we went on another date and we went to the cinema and he, he fell asleep in the cinema <laughs> and um, we went to see some love story movie and, and then he, he played me this song like um, Ellie Goulding, How Long Will I Love You and we've actually got that as one of our wedding mm. songs and I was all freaked out. I'm like, oh my God, he's like, we've only been on two dates and he doesn't say anything. How can he love me already? And okay. I was really freaked out about this whole situation because he showed much more interest online than he did in person. Yeah. And so um, he... He really persevered and we went on another date and he, he brought his iPad, like his, his tablet along mm. on this date. Like, what are you doing? You have to talk to me. And mm. he, he's so shy and I guess he, you know, he'd never had a girlfriend before and he, his confidence, you know, wasn't all that high when I met him. And, and I lay on his lap. We, we went to St Kilda Beach and I lay and he's like, he didn't touch me at all. Like I like, you know, and he did not, like there was no physical contact except for my head on his lap yeah. and he was so he was so nervous and so shy and oh, he, dro he drove me home and he didn't say anything 
anything to me when he drove me home. And then I'm, we were meant to go on another date. And I said to my friend, oh, my God, it's such hard work because I feel like I have to constantly make this conversation. I don't think he's interested in me. He'll message me telling me how amazing I am, but he won't show it. And so, anyway, and then I, about on the day of the date that we were meant to have, and it was meant to be quite elaborate, and he, he does such a lot for me, and he was going to come to my house, which is on the other side of the city, and take me somewhere to dinner, and then drop me at this party that he wasn't even going to come to, pick me up, drive me home, not even expect to stay the night. And then I rang him, and I said, I'm sorry, this won't work out. And then he kind of, he must have acted, felt like really tough, but now that I know him, I know that it would have just broken his heart. And he said, okay then. And also, anyway, so, and then I went on the treadmill and, you know, like, I, I, I was in this big exercising phase then and I, I didn't really think anything of it and I went to this party and I um, I got home the ne- that, that night, I had got a taxi, he didn't take me home. Anyway, I, um, I messaged him the next morning and I said to him, um, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry things didn't work out with us, I hope, we, I hope you're going to be okay, you're a great guy, I'm sure you'll find someone. Mm-hmm. And he wrote back and he said, can we have another chance? Oh my God another chance mm-hmm. anyway and um, he go- and I gave him another chance I guess and, mm-hmm. and I know this sounds really I, I don't want to seem um, condescending in any way but I gave him some speaking pointers because I thought this yeah. might help him and yep. I googled like what to say on dates <laughs> and he told me that he'd like he'd been practicing mm-hmm. and he came to pick me up and he got a haircut and he looked like he, he just sort of made a bit more effort yeah. and we went to this African restaurant the one that I mentioned before and um, yeah, it, it just, you know, kicked off from there. Was, yeah. I'm really glad that I, you know, gave him that chance. And I learnt a lot about myself that I can't expect someone to know about my skin or to be okay with disability if they haven't encountered it before. Mm. Mm. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. So you've been, is it two years? You've yeah, been yeah. yeah. Um, we've been together two years and we got engaged really quickly, actually. Yeah. I booked my trip to go overseas before I met him, a month before I met him. Mm. And then, um, so that was six months before we went overseas I booked my trip before mm-hmm. I went overseas and then I went overseas and he was really sad that he'd be left at home for you know and then yeah. and then we kept he kept on talking about getting married and mm-hmm. I was all a bit like oh. and then he would drag me into shops to look at rings and there was one girl that was really like oh my god Carly I read your blog and Adam goes oh we should go there you'll get a discount I'm like no I'm not doing that and anyway and, and then one night he said to me you know you don't have to wait for me to mar- ask you to marry ask me to marry yeah you know you don't have I don't have to wait for him to ask mm. and then I'm like okay so I went online and I bought him a ring and then oh. um I was gonna I, I had this elaborate thing that I was gonna do the day before I left and then he came home from Cubs he had a Cubs um meet um that weekend so I didn't see him and then I didn't expect him to come to my house and he opened the door and he was there and it was just lovely and then he and then he said, oh, you know, it feels really good. It feels really right. But you'll go another season, however many days, five days or whatever. And anyway, so I had written this thing out, which I was going to write in a card, but I had it on, an, on my iPad. And then we were in bed and I said, I rushed in with my iPad and I started playing Bob Evans' Wonderful You. Yeah. And I said, here, read this. And his, the iPad fell on his face. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he read it. And then I gave him the ring and it didn't fit. <laughs> and so I just, we had to take it back the next day yeah. or the day after. And then anyway, he said, yes, yes, that he'd marry me. And then he, he texted me the next day at work and he said, do you want to go and get your ring after work? And we went and got my ring and we're on like a half an hour parking meter. And we picked the ring out in really quick record time. Yeah. And I wanted a smaller ring, but it took four weeks to get resized. I'm like, no, I'll just take the bigger one. 
It's gorgeous oh, no, ring. It is a nice ring. Really and then nice. we got yeah. And then he 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 wasn't going to ask me. Well, I thought he might ask me like just before I leave, yeah. but. <laughs> I was watching TV. It was the most unromantic proposal ever. He thinks it was quite romantic. But he said to me, I, you know, you write... Because I had this stupid sponsored post to do. I shouldn't say stupid, but it was because I had this ridiculous deadline from this company. And it was right before I went overseas and I had to write this thing and then I had to pack my stuff. And then the post didn't even get up approved to the three months after. Oh. I know. And anyway, so I was writing and there was this show that I wanted to watch and it just started and he comes in he did the dishes, he comes in and he's like in front of the TV. I'm like, can you move? Just move. I just want to watch TV. And then he gets down on one knee and he asks me to marry It was very cute. And then, um, yeah, so yeah. we got married, like, I mean, engaged rather, five months after we met. So, yeah. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it was yeah. nice. But, it, I mean, it has been a bit challenging, I guess, living with him because I've been an only child and he yeah. hasn't lived out of home. So there's that. So I'm glad we've lived together before we got married. Yeah, you know? totally. Yeah. I think yeah. It's, I'm, I'm a celebrant, so I see lots of people who are about to get married, and <laughs> I think it's really good oh. when you can live together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, he's lovely. I'm surprised how much I've learned today, because I thought, I know about mental health, I know about anxiety. Is there anything that you wish that people would know about anxiety? Anxiety is very different. I think that's what I really want to get across is that it's very different for different people mm. and like any medical condition like anything that people go through in their lives the experience can be completely different for different mm. people so we really need to stop putting a label on something and saying that's exactly what it is mm. having a label of anxiety was really important for me mm. but it was also really important to understand at a granular level that there was mm. so much more to it than that base definition and that base experience that you see or you hear about and so if you hear anxiety and what it's all about and the definition of what it is and only parts of it speak to you mm. then explore that don't think that because a friend or someone you saw on TV or read their story or, or whatever it is said that their experience of anxiety was this, mm. don't think that has to mirror yours. Mm. You might be experiencing something and it's worth, worth looking into if it's impacting your life and stopping you from living a full and happy life. Mm. go and explore it and don't rule it out but if you need to use that label because if I didn't use that label and didn't go to the GP and say hey anxiety what's up with that <laughs> <laughs> what is the deal yeah <laughs> then I, I yeah. wouldn't have gotten a pathway mm. to get better and to feel better so yeah, whatever you're going through in your life, do a bit of research, read up, but don't expect yourself to fit into a perfect box of what your condition is, of what your label is, and just try and read broadly, experience broadly. Mm. If you can speak to people with lots of different experiences, mm. because there are people out there willing to talk 
and willing to share and willing to help you. Yeah. But you just have to approach them. And that's the hardest part. Mm. But I think putting yourself out there really can help a lot. Yeah. Well, I think that seeing seeing your kind of progress in terms of speaking publicly about your mental health stuff, I think that's definitely, and you've said yourself, it's definitely helped people in terms of identifying, oh, that might be something that I need to look into. Mm. So only good things can happen, you know, and be, but of course be safe and make sure you're disclosing to people that, you know, it'll be all right. And that's the really tough thing is I would love for more people to speak out. Mm. And if you have the courage to do it, please speak out and tell people what your experience is of anxiety or whatever mental health or physical health condition you might have because there's every chance there's someone out there who was just like you before you got a diagnosis or before you found a path to being better who just has no idea what to do Mm. and they're just waiting to hear someone else articulate it yeah they're just waiting there and that really kills me that gets me is the people out there who just don't know Mm. and have no path to getting better the more of us who can speak out and the more diversity of experiences we can share Mm. the better it's going to be for everyone totally yeah and whether that's people who are actually going through it but also people who are around those people who might not have really any physical ailment or mental health ailments they actually need to know just as much as the people Mm. who are going through it because they're our support networks and they're the people who unfortunately are the biggest pushes of stigma are the people who just don't know it from personal experience so they have to hear the personal experiences of others and have to take it seriously Mm. so speak out if you can if it's safe for you I would really love to hear more stories hear more experiences mm. I what do I do <laughs> you can't fart on the podcast babe <laughs> you just did I'm gonna take that bit out though yeah we're gonna take this bit out Jesus Christ <laughs> so sorry Jen um what medical intervention or support have you utilized over the years <laughs> Clem you can't sniff the microphone, babe. We're so disobedient over this side, aren't we? Thank you so much for all your support this year. It's been a huge passion project getting this podcast off the ground for me personally and I'm really looking forward to gathering more stories over the summer break to share with you next year. Feel free to get in touch. You can check out our Facebook and Twitter or email us, fullysickpodcast at gmail.com. The best thing you can do if you appreciate Fully Sick is to give us a review and a rating on iTunes. That really helps to get the word out. Hope you can take it easy over the silly season and enjoy yourselves. And I'll catch you in 2017. From all of us here at Fully Sick Podcast, that's me, Jenny O'Keefe, and our contributors, Alice Williamson and Tracy O'Donnell. I'm not sure if you can hear my cat, Ginkgo, in the background. Thank you so much. Cheers.